1: With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gordney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We have Dr. Justin Clark, the menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And we have Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Finally, Nate Johnson, my fellow
0: producer and graduate assistant. All right, well, there's been quite a stir lately on the abortion ruling leak that came out, and I think there's been a lot of talk about the moral arguments for Well, ever since it passed for that matter. So for about 40, 50 years now. And so I thought there's other issues related to the leak and maybe related to federalism and some other things that haven't been talked about by talking heads. And I figure we have three talking heads here that can render some opinions and and comments that are relevant to things maybe other people aren't thinking about. So, Justin, you want to lead us through some of the issues that kick this thing off?
2: Sure. So, again, we did a whole segment on the morality of abortion, right? But I do think it's important to get the facts out about what exactly happened and when it happened in the in the leaking that, that went on. And for us, it's last Monday,
0: right? So yeah, maybe we can leak in the show notes that previous podcast that we did the morality arguments on. So Yeah,
2: yeah so, and this happened Monday evening. Politico broke a story that they had been leaked a draft opinion of a uh, Supreme Court decision. And this draft opinion overturned Roe v. Wade and Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which were two monumental Supreme Court cases concerning abortion. Roe v. Wade was the first, I think it was the 1973 case, in which abortion was the right to an abortion was codified as a as something that individuals were owed because of the right to privacy. And
0: then well that's interesting. I didn't I didn't remember that little tidbit. So it was actually more of the right to privacy is what drove the ruling, the right to privacy of the woman. Yeah, which, which is, is which, which
1: itself is in the penumbras of the Constitution, the shadows of the Constitution. And so there's Two layers of separation. Someone else actually used this language the other day. I forget who, but there's two layers of separation between Roe and the Constitution itself because it's based. Roe is based on the right to privacy, which is based on uh, a, a reading of the Constitution that kind of
2: derives something implicit. It's not. It's not explicitly written anywhere in there. There is no right to privacy. Explicit right to privacy in the Constitution, yeah, right? right? Yeah. So this is one of the reasons why everybody actually hates the original Roe decision. For as much as people on the left say we need to save row they actually don't mean leave row untouched they mean change row and codify it to be stronger mm-hmm. um and everybody on the right says, use other reasoning yeah because the reasoning that in the original 73 opinion does seem like it's based on nothing so it invents a right a uh, whole cloth right and it's not even clear that the the reasoning in that if you accept the right to privacy it's not even clear how the right to an abortion within the first couple trimesters would be would derive from that right to privacy right so i'm mean, like famously like ruth bader ginsburg said the road decision was bad it actually just started fights rather than solving any rights really? lawrence tribe who's like you know the head progressive law professor at harvard has said that the road decision is badly argued too so well, um, rbg's been celebrated so much that's an interesting <laughs> conflict too but what's really interesting about this though is that the dis the draft opinion was leaked on Monday. Yeah. And I don't think that's happened before. They're, yeah, uh, never. Yeah, I was impressed. So they say like, well, actually the, 70, the original road decision was leaked, right? But it, I don't think that you, know, you can get the whole draft opinion leaked. So one of the things that's interesting is that the entire draft opinion was leaked. And this is all the justices, like their draft opinion or? Uh, uh, I haven't heard that. Ju- just to lead off, right? Yeah. And I... Uh,
1: He's writing for three other justices, I think. Was he
2: writing for just three? It was the draft majority, opinion.
1: Yeah, right? um, well, I think the majority is overturned, but maybe one person was doing a different opinion for that same thing. Sometimes that happens. But the, well, the, the, point, the point is Alito has written it, and it's a draft, so it's, it's not even necessarily the case that any of the other justices had seen it yet. Mm-hmm. What happens is the person who issues the opinion kind of consults with people, then they try to write out what that opinion is, and they send it off to the other justices for edits or agreement. Justin, is
2: is this right? Yeah. And technically, it's not even Alito's official opinion, right? Because it's not official yet. So it's his like, you know, hey, this is what I'm thinking, let me go take a look at it type of thing. Now, you might think, well, okay, well, what's the big deal about that, right? Well, first of all, it's a huge deal, because it's like the most contentious issue in Um, in politics.
0: Yeah. At Um, the highest court level. I mean, this, this just smells of like corruption, like we're in a different third world country or something. So
2: yeah, well, the corruption part is interesting because it's like, what, what do you gain from this? Right. And now one of the things that you get out of this is like, no matter what happens, it seems like the decision is totally tainted. We know based on the popular reaction to this, That the decision is seen as prima facie invalid by, you know, like Elizabeth Warren got very, very angry yesterday on television, which should be like a week or two ago, uh, saying like this has been what they were planning the whole time. And I heard another Congressperson saying that like the Supreme Court does not have the right to repeal Roe. Narrator: I heard somebody say uh, that this
0: uh, morning actually that the this ruling really wasn't unexpected, but the leak was unexpected. Like a, a lot of people had this in the pipeline from day one when you know the justices got nominated that that was there was a chance of this happened. I so. mean personally, I thought it was unexpected. I I actually never in my lifetime expected to
1: see Roe overturned. I thought maybe a reinterpretation based on a tenth versus fourteenth amendment sort of equal protection argument, sort of like Obergefell was decided, uh, not on privacy grounds or not not explicitly on privacy grounds by itself. But on like an equal protection ground, That's so I thought do. maybe I that hear. would it happen, but I I never expected to see justices come out and say we are looking to overturn Roe KC. Casey.
2: Yeah, I never expected that I either.
0: Have also you heard any talk this. about the size of people that would have had even access to this draft? Like, I assume the justices all have little it's helpers, clerks, uh, clerks yeah. that. But not too many of them. It's a pretty tight-knit group, I would guess, that had access to this. yes yeah, So there's
2: supposedly ground. they're launching
0: a an investigation on yeah. who did it. I suppose there's a chance of an outside hacker or something.
1: That, yeah. Or uh, uh, I was curious too the other day about like who who mans the the fax machines at the uh, this going <laughs> to Is it all clerks? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some like low-level government bureaucrat who you know got a fax or something and or got an envelope and looked inside and oh here's an opinion. So it could, it could absolutely be one of the clerks. That's definitely like the most likely candidate, I think, certainly not one of the other justices. I think for all of, you know, the Supreme Court's downsides, I think that it's incredibly consistent in trying to preserve its own integrity. And so I don't think yeah. any of the left, leftist judges on the court would ever have leaked an opinion from an opposing judge because that undermines their integrity too, yeah. or the, the integrity of their institution. Sorry.
2: Yeah, well... When you talk about the integrity of the court, one of the reasons justices are appointed for life is that they want to they want justices to be completely ensconced from any kind of outside yeah. uh, influence right and so that's also the reason clearly. why we don't get draft opinions because the entire point is that the court is supposed to make their ruling and then tell the people what the ruling is right so they're supposed to make the ruling independent of any kind of outside influence mm-hmm. and if you look like There was a tweet from some genius writing at vox who said (laughs) like big props to whichever clerk read this supreme court opinion and thought let's burn it to the ground and then uh leaked this and that that tweet got over like four thousand retweets and that's the idea that what we are going to do is uh since we think the court is going to do this we are going to threaten the court and hope that they that the court then takes a different tack. Yeah. Now, if the court takes a different tack, then bye-bye credibility for the Supreme yeah. Court yeah. from on the right, right? The court is one of the last few institutions that has even at least some kind of respect. Yeah, bipartisan credibility. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, and, and if you doubt that, consider the comparison of the executive branch in Congress and the Senate. I mean, we're talking about abysmally low approval ratings compared to most people generally approve of the Supreme Court. That doesn't mean everybody loves them or every decision. Probably when certain decisions come out, people like them more or less, but definitely the most respected of our
2: official branches of government. Yeah. So if the decision gets changed, in which case they don't overturn and Casey, I think the, the court loses credibility from the right. Almost entirely, I don't think anybody would think that you know, yeah, I would see a huge amount of loss of credibility there. If they go through with the decision, especially if that decision is made soon, which sounds like it could be. Uh, it's another
0: argument that you could see for packing the court. And you could see people. Yeah, I've heard that. You could see.
2: Uh, go ahead and uh, explain packing the court. Packing the court means just appointing more Supreme Court justices so there are nine supreme court justices but there is nothing in the constitution that says that there can only be nine right mm-hmm. so one if you are worried that well you know when trump was in he appointed two or he appointed three supreme court judges and so that changed the balance of the court. Yeah, right i, I want to make sure the court is balanced um, instead of waiting for a supreme court justice to die or poisoning one of them or something however you know and that was peter's plan
0: uh, <laughs> is that what you could do is uh, just appoint another one, right? right? So whenever there's a, a one party controls uh, Congress, they could pass a law that says, let's add three more justices. And then basically it would be all their party's flavored justices. But then the next time the next party comes in, they could add four more. And, you know, before you know, we got a hundred person Supreme Court.
1: Yeah. Well, part, this, of, part of this is probably a symptom of the fact that the Supreme Court actually was never intended to have the power that it has today the supreme court declared that the supreme court is the ultimate authority on whether things are constitutional or not uh, this was it's not written in the constitution that the supreme court is the ultimate arbitrator so probably and you so you might be wondering why isn't the number capped why is it just a totally arbitrary thing probably because the supreme court was never expected to have as much authority as it does and so probably
0: who was the federal government yeah yeah that, that's true
1: <laughs> well, uh, so, the, know, so the founders guess, probably didn't worry i think about
0: the it. founders foresaw that that would potentially be a problem and tried to put as many things in place to keep that from happening but here we are today
2: i think what this leak sheds light on and it's also another thing that's you know pecking the court sheds light on is this difference between norms and rules where rules are formal like they're logarithmic they're functions that tell you if this happens then this happens in Um, writing codified yeah yeah but it turns out that almost always rules are based on norms Right? And norms are usually not codified, but they're just things that you do or don't do. FDR famously tried to pack the court, he proposed packing the court and he got shot down in part because it was seen as a huge norms violation. Yeah, I mean, it's not; it's not really against the rules, but uh, it's just not done, right? It's understood that, that, hasn't, that we don't do that. Yeah. And that is exactly what happened with this leak too, right? Uh, it, it had never been done before. It was understood that to protect the sanctity of the court, we don't do this. Yeah. And so what, what I think you find is that systems where there is a shared sense of norms, even people who disagree with each other, as long as they're willing to abide by those norms, And change the rules while abiding by the, even if they disagree about what the rules are, if as long as they abide by the norms, you can still have some kind of peace. But once you have people who are party to a disagreement, who not only don't agree about rules anymore, but disagree about norms, that's just like a
0: recipe for war. And yeah, the disagreement norms has been growing and growing over the last 10 years, for that matter, right, that's this whole. Uh, everybody's in their own camp and yelling at each other and not hearing news from the other side, so, yeah, so
2: like whether or not we have a you can filibuster right that's a rule, and they argue about whether or not we should change that rule, right, but this idea that well, we disagree even about how we ought to disagree with each other <laughs> that's once you get in that territory, yeah it's very it's bad news and. I feel like we are in that territory now.
0: Yeah. Well, this looks like a good spot for a break. When we come back, I wanna to touch on economic freedom a little bit and there's an area in the index legal system and property rights that's relevant here that I wanna highlight. And then also this idea of the states are still going to have power to make abortion legal or not legal. That seems to have been brushed under and that, that to me is a real big score for the notion of federalism so we'll kind of pick it up from there after the break by 2030 the gordon institute will be known for its alumni supporters and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers vocations communities and personal lives the institute will be a nationally recognized source for knowledge and contributions to students experience society's understanding of private and public solutions to poverty and the overlap of markets governance and faith young audiences will look to the institute for challenging and engaging education on faith and economics the Wartney Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and in economics in action. Okay, and we're back. So yeah, I want to touch off with economic freedom, just that one of the reasons the United States has been for the most part in the top 10 in the, in the Fraser Institute's Economic Freedom Index, one of the five areas is legal systems and property rights. And so as probably many of you listeners know uh, lots of countries around the world you can bribe judges or you call the police and you don't get uh, anybody showing up for a while and granted that can happen once in a while here in the united states for various reasons but for the most part we have a lot of faith and trust in the way our legal system is set up such that things can get pushed all the way up to the supreme court when they're big issues even when local judges have ruled something differently we have this constitution that would be then Ruled on by the Supreme Court, so this really shakes the foundation of that, and it's not good news. I don't know. Do you want to talk a little bit more, Peter, about whether no-win situation or what do you mean by that?
1: Yeah. So I I just wanted to highlight. I think Justin started to touch on this, but sort of a weird situation now that that our our judges have been put in that they can no longer avoid influence in this decision, uh, external influence. It's basically impossible now. Let's imagine that Justice Alito and the other justices had like not only, not was it, not that fear is driving them, but let's imagine they had an actual change of heart about this. Like Alito wakes up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night and says, I've been wrong all the time, the penumbras, I see them, Uh, that sort of thing. And so he decides, oh, Roe actually should be, and by the way, uh, for the listeners, the decision can change now. So they've already voted, the decision has been made, but this decision can be changed until it's released publicly. And so, like Justin was saying, this seems to be the goal was let's get them to change the decision by leaking it, putting out public pressure. But now imagine Alito has that change of heart, like an honest change of heart about the, the bill, or maybe imagine a change that's caused by fear. Now he's faced with this weird situation where if Alito changes his mind, regardless of what he says, it will appear as if the leak swayed his opinion. And if that's the case, then what, he, what has happened is you've, you've created a weird incentive system in your judiciary, which is from this point forward, any decision that's somewhat controversial that you can get one inside person to leak out there, there's gonna be an incentive to do that. And so, basically, there's going to be incentive to undermine the court's ability to make effective decisions by special interest groups okay, so going uh, forward, yeah, e- that's even fair. if there's an honest change of heart here. Mm-hmm. And so, th- th- this is why the leak is kind of a big deal and kind of a crucial change is the impressed in Preston, is this this leak, uh, because what it does is it gets rid of the judge's ability to like make any change that's not seen as just responding to the public outcry or something like that. It seems like they could be pushed around, and so you're either changing. Your, your individual opinion or you're changing sort of the institution's character itself. There's sort of two levels uh, where you can't win here.
0: Yeah. And I think, I think it wouldn't be irreparable. I think if they, let's say, come out with, well, since this thing leaked, we have new procedures in place, blah, 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 blah. And then we go through 10 years worth of time where there's never been a leak again, maybe on some big issues or something. I think faith in the system could be restored. But... 10 years is a long time. I think what you just said is still true. That, that's a long, long time of having some sort of persisting doubt. I don't know. It's, it seems like a crossing the Rubicon <clears> moment to
1: me that actually there's no way no for you to go back. Guy. And the, the reason I say that is we, we discussed the filibuster a little bit before the break. The way the filibuster works is it is a rule, quote unquote, but the reason the rule exists is a norm. Here's how the filibuster could change. You only need 50% uh, plus the vice president, or so we'll say, 51% of senators to say, let's change the filibuster for it to change. The filibuster itself prevents any more, any less than 60 senators uh, from pushing a decision through. And so this is the weird thing: is that you could just with the majority get rid of the filibuster and then push anything through. The only thing preventing, the only thing that the filibuster is preventing. Or the only way that the filibuster could be preventing anything is if the majority is willing to keep the filibuster in place. It's this rule that's preventing majority rule, but that rule is held up by majority rule. It's a norm. Uh, so there is a written rule about it, but it's it's upheld by a norm. And so you could get rid of the filibuster, you know, vote on the thing with a simple majority, put the filibuster back in place. But everybody recognizes once that's gone, it's 5149 every single time. To me, this is the same thing as once you have opened up the box, if, if this decision changes now, once you've opened that, up that box, you forever have the incentive to, to mess with the system. Yeah, and themselves. I
0: want to add that a lot of people might look at that and say, well, this is good. Then government can finally get some stuff done. And that's true, but that's bad. And here's why that people, again, don't really think about these long term unintended consequences. But are you talking about the filibuster? <clears throat> I'm talking about the filibuster or in general, just the growth of government and that if if depending on who's in office, what party's in office, the law can change dramatically. So now we have what I would view as kind of volatility in the law. And why that's bad is from an economist standpoint, from market standpoint, of people planning for the long term, whether that's long term retirement, business investments, where They're committing millions of dollars for an expected 20 year run. And that's based on the current rule of law at the time here in 2022. And so if we now start to add uncertainty that every four years, the political tide might shift and tax rates might go uh, real high, but then when somebody else gets in office, they get real low and, and different types of regulations and rules and environment, whether it's environment or other things, when you have that volatility, There's going to be a natural you have to uh, embrace that risk as part of your planning for a business person, and therefore there's going to be less investment going on, and you're going to this is just going to further accelerate the growth of government government does a fraction of overall. um, Activity for the United States and uh, that's a bad thing if we're taking these decisions out of the private sector and putting them into the public
1: realm. Yeah, I agree, Russ. And the other problem with doing exactly that is you increase the stakes Then, if every election, you have the opportunity to pass whatever you want through the Senate, as long as you have 51, and you can pack the court and change every court decision. Once you get, you know, your Supreme Court justices in, then every election determines every single policy every single time. Yeah. And so elections become very important. And so people are willing to spend a lot of resources to change elections or uh, to do a lot of things to change elections.
0: Yeah. Think of like violence, things like that. Violence, uh, uh paying, bribing, whatever. It's all it's all bad. Yeah. I mean, and and so having a long-term stability of the rule of law was one of the cornerstones of, of economic growth for the United States for the last two hundred
1: years. Yeah. And and so Russ, I think this ties into one of the things that you mentioned before the break, which is that by Roe being turned back in this way and the decision being returned to the states. There actually is a certain extent to which the heat on elections turns down, at least if this decision ends up being upheld. Why? Well, now if you know conservative justices pack the court and they pass uh, or the, the justices uh, come up with this new rule that no one anywhere can get an abortion ever, uh, that's a really big deal to Californians. But when Roe v. Wade is, is overturned, those decisions actually return to the states. And so if you get more justices in. Uh, it's not such a big deal because this decision is made at the state level, and so this is the the classic idea of federalism. It's one of the benefits of federalism that individual elections are less important or less uh, you know worth fighting. For. Yeah, at
0: the federal level and maybe more important at the state level. So I, I think we, the positive spin for me is that yeah this this really highlights the notion that the founders originally had was to leave power with the states, and so now you know and I hope of uh, people who are pro choice you know, recognize that it might just be as easy as a 200 mile drive to cross a state line to go get an abortion now. So it's not like the rights have been completely taken away, and it's illegal in the United States everywhere. At least that's my understanding, unless you guys have heard some other things. I think this is a, this is a, a big, oh, I get it, this, this might be kind of cool that we have states with more power and people might start to understand the, uh, the notion of federalism as a real benefit, that Kansas can be Kansas, California can be California, Minnesota can be Minnesota, Florida can be Florida, and we all just go on our merry way, and we choose with our feet of what grouping of laws and, and other public benefits we like, and we move to that state. Yeah, the the big steel man counter-argument that, to, to point out quickly,
1: is you know imagine uh, the supreme court declares that murder should not be a federal crime and in fact it's up to the states whether or not they want to criminalize murder you might actually think that, that this is okay because it'll work itself out uh, but i could I imagine you know at least in my wild imagination this being bad for someone somewhere at some point, some sort of extreme thing like this and so someone might say okay but what's the limit of this decentralization i think that's a, a topic for another podcast but i just wanted to highlight maybe one
2: objection, Justin. You know, they've had a fight about a giant moral issue being decided at the federal level in the past. Slavery, right? So uh, this idea that there is a moral issue, which which a lot of people in the country feel very, very strongly about, and that they'll be happy just letting individual states decide things the way that they want to decide them. I don't see that. Happening. Yeah. Happy was um, probably
0: too strong. So uh,
2: I think that for the, <laughs> the rosy scenario, which you outlined to actually come to pass a bunch of things have to happen, which I don't, which I not only think are improbable, I think they're like impossible. I think that people would have to not view the abortion issue as some kind of really, really weighty moral issue, which they do. And then I would also think that people would have to actually understand the difference between like federal legislation and state legislation, which they don't. Plenty of people already think that abortion is banned as of Monday, which it isn't, right? (laughs) Uh, But there are also plenty of people who are willing to stoke that kind of anger. So it just seems to me like now we have two sides that... Have been for 25 years, not 25 years. You You go back to Roe v. Wade been 50. 50 years have been squaring off at each other. You know, spitting on the ground, um, wiping their nose, and now it just seems like they're ready to fight. And that's what seems like. This is part of the reason I didn't expect the decision, is because this issue and having it be having Roe be so vague and. Um, has enabled both sides to actually raise a lot of money for fundraising, because they were always able to say, look at what the other side's doing. Mm -hmm. So I actually didn't expect them to make a move on this, partly for that reason. But it just really seems like people want to fight Mm -hmm. about this. And I don't think that they're going to be happy with this, or we can all just get along in our respective states Argument
0: well that's always possible I tend to be the glass is half full thinking that this will be a benefit I still think that there's some possibility of some healthiness as it relates to federalism not necessarily abortion maybe I should have phrased it that way that they'll see that oh the world could work this way in other way in other ways Areas. I, guess. I think everything areas is
2: one hundred percent factually correct about like what is going to be the case. California is still going to have very very permissive abortion regulations, right? So that's true, and I think it's. And worse I'm sure
0: some states are going to have kind of a look the other way on if if it went the illegal route for some reason everywhere, then some states would be you know kind of like they do with drugs uh look the other way yeah and it'll
2: depend on who the prosecutors are in those states yeah. too right but i also think that like what it's not that i'm saying like discount everything you said i actually think no 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 part of my argument was people just don't know that and I, i'm not yeah. certain that they will will, will know it but I Uh, just think when pointing that out is very
0: right now, I think people are thinking like what you just said that oh, Monday, you know, women's rights are out the door and you can't have an abortion. But then it's going to come out that, oh, well, this state is looking to ban it, but this state, it's totally fine. And they'll start to kind of have this understanding of of state by state changes, which I think that aspect all by itself could be a positive little glimmer. So hopefully it won't come to violence and other things everywhere so but there's a few seems like there's a few things brewing that's for sure and this this is a new log on the fire that uh, hopefully won't amount to death and destruction in other ways so well there were protesters (laughs) out immediately within like 20 minutes
2: of this being announced there were protesters out in dc Uh, Mm -hmm. and we know midterms
0: are coming up right i know that's right midterms and so all right. Well, on that uplifting note, <laughs> looks like a good spot to wrap. I wish we had better news, but uh, there, there might be some positives and, and certainly it's a it's a shakeup and we'll see how that plays out. Maybe we'll get into some of these other issues like Peter said in a future podcast. So this has been a production of the Wharton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five star rating helps other people find us and please pass our information along. We also would uh, ask for your support. Uh, we have a donate button on the Gordon Institute webpage. And so if you'd like to continue to hear podcasts like this and some of the other student activities we do, we'd appreciate your support. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.